everyone. Welcome back to the Yoast SEO podcast. I'm joined today by my good friend Jess Schultz, who has a job title that I f- keep forgetting, so she can explain that herself for a company that I can't, can't even pronounce properly, which is uh, even worse. So, uh, Jess, can you do all that work for me? Sure. So, I'm the International Digital Director at Ringgear which essentially means that I help set our marketing strategy for our media brands, our classified brands, and a bunch of other miscellaneous ones. So Ring Gear, I always... Ring Gear. Okay. Um, And Ring Gear is quite a big brand, but I think not a whole lot of people that listen to this podcast will actually know what it is. So can you explain? It's kind of the brand behind the brand. So we're... The mother company of Blick, which is one of the large news portals in Switzerland. We have operations in Africa, in Asia, in Eastern Europe. Uh, so it's around 200 brands that we're in the background of. Yeah, it's, it, but cla- basically classic media gone online, right? Or am yeah. I saying- yeah. We take the newspaper and we put it online. We take the classifieds, we put them online. And then we do some smaller startup stuff, some e-commerce stuff, but it's the bulk of it is news, lifestyle publishing and classifieds portals. Okay. So if I think about your competitors, which is probably not something you want to talk about, but who should I be thinking about? Uh, Nasper's, Shipstead, uh, Axel Springer's not a competitor, but it's a similar business model and we have partnerships together, those sorts of companies. Okay. Yeah. And that means that you're acting in a whole lot of countries all over the world um is is that does that change your view on how you do marketing it adds complexity to the way you do marketing because when you're working in developed markets you're thinking google chrome and you're thinking apple and then you get to africa and all of a sudden there's a thing called opera mini which is the bane of every developer's existence ever but you can't ignore it or you go to myanmar and people say no i don't have the internet i have facebook and you just want to facepalm a little bit at that (laughs) i yeah because they have the Facebook uh, basics or whatever is that called uh, that Facebook has rolled out there? Yeah, and like 90% of your sessions will come from Facebook. It It is their internet. They don't really, they didn't have that Google phase that everybody else has had. So they're, they've leapfrogged social media as a primary search engine and then kind of coming back into the space of Google and, oh, you can have websites and there's other platforms there. It's not all just content on Facebook, which is very interesting because it helps you shape how you're interacting with those platforms and how they then factor into your distribution strategies. Yeah. Yeah, but it is an entirely different world. It's funny because even for us, and we do a lot of languages and countries, I think the large part of the way that we look at the world is still very Google-like, at least. I mean, it it, it might be Yandex, but it's still Google-like. And that's very different than opera mini which i hadn't thought about for quite a while and i was very happy about that but so thank you for bringing that back because 
it does horrible things to HTML. Oh yes, it's an absolute nightmare. <laughs> okay, so um, I know you've been playing a lot with with Discover, Google News, and and things around that. Um, and I, it's what I really wanted to talk to you about because there's so few people that actually get to play with that a lot because you have to be a fairly big publisher to to have enough traffic to play um and then to and then you need multiple brands to actually be able to play with it because otherwise you can't really risk losing stuff so you've probably had a fairly unique chance of playing with it um is that what is discover for you I would say Discover is one of the key parts of the larger Google ecosystem. And I would weigh Discover in terms of our strategy almost as equally as important as optimizing for traditional keyword search. Because when we look at the actual sessions that are coming through and the conversions that are coming through, Discover is much more powerful than most people think. It's not the only platform in that ecosystem that's important. We use Google News a lot. We have Google Lens in there. Google Maps plays a strong role as well, but discovers the, the big hitter out of all of the ecosystem products, second to only search. Yeah, so, so, and, and would you classify Google News as search at that point? or Not necessarily because search implies there is a search term and with news, yes, you can enter a search term. You can choose to do that, but it's not the primary experience. The primary experience is you go there and they give you a personalized stream of content. It yeah. doesn't require active interaction from my part. And that's the whole point. It's providing you answers before you search. And get discover goes one step further and even gives you alerts. Yeah, and it goes well outside of. Google News is limited to news and articles. If you know what you're doing, you can get lifestyle content in there. Discover is all content on the web that Google has indexed. So you're going to get your news in there. You're going to get lifestyle articles. You're going to get products. You're going to get jobs. You're going to get anything that Discover thinks you're interested in. And that includes not just text content. It shows up videos as well. Cool. Um, so, as you said, it's all web content. It, it's sort of one of the things that it's interesting that I don't think a lot of people have noticed is that uh, there's a team of Google engineers that works on WordPress. And one of the things that they're doing at the moment is working on WordPress cores so that it automatically allows in its robot settings for indexing large images. Uh, because by default, WordPress would not always output the best version of the image in its metadata and and Google wants to have that version of the image in its metadata so that it can use it in Google Discover. Um, and I'm I, I was wondering like why where why would they want this? But because Discover is all of web, the web's content, it does make a, a bit more sense in that regard. Um, how would you optimize for that? What what's the stuff that you would do as a site owner? Well, I can go through all the obvious things that if you read Google Discover Optimization in Search, you're going to get stuff like make really good engaging content and have fast site speed 
and use schema yeah. to mark up your articles. But that, that's the stuff we tell people every day. Yeah. <laughs> what you really need to know about Discover is that it's based on the knowledge graph and it's about the topic layer of the knowledge graph. So if you don't have an entity in a knowledge graph, you're never really going to get good traction in Discover. And if you're, you do have an entity, but it's not connected correctly in the topic layer to the user's interests, then you're not going to get the right coverage within Discover. And I find it mind-blowing that so many people spend money on keyword rank tracking tools, but very few people take the effort to integrate with the Knowledge Graph API to see their result score, to see if they're even in the Knowledge Graph in the first place. Yeah. It's, it's funny, this ties back to, so we did a show with Jason, Jason Bernard uh, mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago, um, where we talked a lot about brand search, which ties into this in a way, because for brand search, a lot of that is knowledge graph and, and how are you related to other stuff. Um, but this goes a level level deeper. You're you're not just building your brand and show, making sure that the brand shows up in the knowledge graph. You're also tying it to a topic. Yeah, the brand brand is just one form that an entity could take. Yeah. You could have multiple entries in the knowledge graph for your business. Your brand should certainly be one of them. It might be your CEO is strong enough to be another one. It could be that you have products that are strong enough to be another one. So you should be thinking, well, what entities do I have that are connected to my business? And how can I optimize for those entities in the knowledge graph in terms of connecting them to what my audience is interested in? Yeah, and also disentangle them because they do get, uh, it's one of the things that for us is very funny because we everything we do is called Yoast and that makes life very hard. Um, so you have Yoast BV, the company, you have Yoast SEO, the software, and uh, and you have Yoast, the person, and, and they're all in the knowledge graph and they all have their separate entities, but getting them right and, each, and giving each of them a separate home is actually uh, hard enough as it is. Um, but then you you said attach it to the right topics. What what would what do you mean by that? What, how would that what would it look like to a user? So at the end of the day, when we're talking about discover, users can follow brands, but they follow brands as a topic. And so I could be interested in a specific brand, so I could want to follow the Yoast podcast, so I follow Yoast, or I could be interested in SEO, or I could be interested in WordPress or a myriad of other topics. So the same way that we, we understand that when you're writing an article, you're not trying to optimize for a keyword. If you are, you should probably catch up to the rest of SEOs. You're trying to focus on a particular topic or topic cluster. And through your internal linking, you're linking that subtopic to your primary topic and then that topic to your brand so that when people type the keywords into the search engine, you're going to rank number one. It's the same concept for Discover. It's just a different layer of separation. There's still topics. You're still going to create content, whether that's article content or video content or podcast content or image content around a certain topic. And you're trying to then make sure that your entity is often associated with that through your own activities and the activities of other entities on the web where they're giving their recommendation 
yes, this brand, yes, this person knows a lot about topic X. Yeah. And a brand can be knowledgeable about a lot of topics, I guess. A brand can be an influencer. Yeah. And and, and it can be, uh, but that means that you don't have to, if you have a blog, for instance, you don't have to really be focused on one topic the whole time. You can have multiple. Well, you probably have that on a news site. Yeah. So I, I have a lot of mass market news sites. So it goes from everything to investigative journalism to Kim Kardashian's latest outfit to, you know, recipes for cooking during the pandemic. So trying to clearly establish what we want to be primarily associated with can be a challenge when you have such topic range. But it comes back to, we are looking at how we establish these entities of a brand in relation to others. So we're paying much more attention to the journalists that we hire. If there are journalists who have their own entity. So for example, one of our lead editorial staff is known for her knowledge of sports. That's, that's her thing. She's written about it forever. She's extremely well known in that industry. And so then we connect her the sports journalist to our brand. And through that, we can start tapping into this knowledge graph understanding of this is somewhere where we are an authority on this topic because we're associated with editors A, B, and C. Or we have investigative journalism pieces X, Y, and Z. Or we have podcasts which have their own entities. So it's about building up that that community of entities, which is beyond links. Yeah, but it's very much sub brands at that point that you're building, or is it basically just categories within the site? Or It's just making connections along the relevant things. So as an example, we know that Wikipedia is a strong driver of understanding of the knowledge graph. If you have hired someone who is an entity, the logical thing is to make sure that that is reflected on your Wikipedia entry. And a lot of people kind of, they set up their Wikipedia 10 years ago and then never looked at it again. It's been edited 50 times by 40 different people and it's not even on brand anymore. Who in your company is responsible for your Wikipedia entry, for your Crunchbase entry, for Wikidata, for your Google My Business listing? These are yeah. the sort of questions that SEOs need to be asking themselves. And Wikipedia is a nice example. I, the, recently, the Yoast BV page on Wikipedia was repurposed into a Yoast SEO, the software page by the editors that be and decided, etc. Um, that's the sort of thing that's horrible because it basically messes up your entire knowledge graph. Um, <laughs> uh, but it is it did make me aware of like, hey, I, I have not paid enough attention to this over a long period of time. And that's when we started talking to Jason again, like, hey, we should really look at this a bit better. Um, but you can't really edit your own Wikipedia page where it's a bit of you can, but it's not really uh, looked, looked well upon always. So how do you go about that? You just ask someone to do it or? No, you can. Not to say it's the simplest process, but you certainly can. When you read the documentation, Wikipedia actually says, look, if you are the authority on it, which you are as the brand, you should be maintaining your page. 
But that being said, you should be maintaining it with a clear profile so they understand who's doing what. It's not like anonymous SEO team login or something like that. And you cannot be using it for promotion. You're not sitting there and writing your about page. You're writing a factual article based on references. And that's your opportunity to be building up that authority. Because if you cannot justify why you're an expert in the topic through external sources, maybe you really should be considering if you're an expert in the topic. Yeah, if, if nobody has ever asked you your opinion about it, then maybe the rest of the world doesn't really look at you like that. Yeah, it, it, it must be a bit easier when you're a publisher yourself and getting the references published is fairly simple. Yes and no. See, this is the challenge of the knowledge graph. When we do our job well, Google understands that Ring Gear is connected to our brands. Uh, so that hinders us when we as Ring Gear are trying to be the reference for our brands. So it's still a matter of we need external corroborative sources for that. Okay. So you need to call your journalist friends from other... <laughs> there are benefits of being a publisher, I will admit that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that... Uh, yeah. I, I think so. I, I this was all easier for me when I when I was still working for the Guardian too. <laughs> <laughs> I've often explained that doing SEO for the Guardian as sort of doing SEO with God mode on. It's like it, it is. Some things are just too simple when you work on large sites like that. Do you, I, I don't. So I don't know Ring Gear well enough, but I guess that in Switzerland you're of a similar size uh, in in terms of impact. Uh, yeah. There's a, there's a fair amount of reach there. We have numerous news brands, lifestyle brands, uh, jobs portals, car portals, uh, horizontal classifieds, yeah. a wine shop, which is always nice. <laughs> Do you get to taste yourself? <laughs> I've never had the pleasure, but next time I'm in Switzerland, I should probably ask about that. Yeah, so... In this whole COVID period, you've, you, you're based in Berlin, right? Um, is that, has that changed your company much? Or? It, it's changed the wider company that was doing a lot of in-office work together quite a bit. We've, we've had a lot of adaptation to make in a short period of time. But then for my team, we were already working with multiple brands around the world in remote environments. Um, just in my direct reports, we have people from South Africa, Kenya, England, um, yeah, the Eastern Europe. So it's we're not normally all based in the same office, so it was somewhat simpler for us. Yeah, but now there's also no no opportunity to ever see each other, which is sort of sad. Yeah, that uh, not being able to fly to the place and sit with the people and talk through the strategies, especially when you're doing uh, more innovative things that aren't documented and clearly understood as a best practice, it certainly presents challenges. Yeah, yeah, I can totally imagine. Um, going back to, to the whole discover thing, it, it, would it, which is, you, you're spending a lot of time on it. Is that because you... Um, is the the investment there worth more than the investment in other areas? I think it's 
it's twofold. On the first side, I can see where it's going because we have these news portals where right now, when I look in my analytics, anywhere from 30% to 60% of our sessions driven by Google are already discover-based. So ignoring 60% of your traffic is yeah, never not, a smart idea. No. That's not the case when I look at the, the classified portals or the e-commerce portals, but you see it increasing in traction anywhere from 50% to 200, 300, 400% year over year. And when you're seeing that growth in something from another business model, you know how impactful it can be. I feel you ignore it at your own risk because Google doesn't even position itself as a search engine anymore. So if you're thinking Google and you're thinking organic keyword search, in a few years, you're likely going to be in a very difficult position. Yeah, uh, because you're not building out the brighter, the wider thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's best to test and learn now and start establishing those entities now, especially when it's a little bit wild, wild west out there. And it's, remember back in the days where SEO was about putting keywords into keyword tags and then you shot to the top of the search results. It's really similar right now with Discover uh, to the point where sometimes we do things we don't know what we did and we still get traffic for three days and it disappears off the face of the planet. We're left scratching our heads, but that's what we need to be doing now before everybody else that's really smart gets on this train and makes it much more difficult. Yeah. Um, so as soon as we start adding features into Yoast SEO for it, the game is done. <laughs> yes. Maybe I shouldn't be talking to you. No, I, the, the funny thing with these things is that it, because it's, it's still relatively hard to grasp for a normal user to, to understand what to do and to understand how this, well, to know where this goes and and i i think for you that's in many ways a good thing but it, it is i think google's challenge as well how do we help people navigate this um and 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 make them understand how this works so that people will actually create content that they that they want to serve to their users well google's making clear steps towards helping you understand that right now there's a reason why over the last year within Google Search Console, we've now got Google Discover broken out. We recently got Google News broken out. Just last week, we got an update saying that they've improved the data quality in the Google Discover reporting because they'd left out an entire section of it. Um, <laughs> so Google's, the writing is there on the wall. They're saying, this is coming into your reporting. We're making this visible. We've made this important. And yeah. I don't see how as the SEO community, we can't read that and go, okay, yeah, it's scary. We don't understand it. It's new. There's no keywords. Just jump in and do it anyway. Yeah. Well, it is, um, we, we are quite keyword driven still in many ways. Uh, and at the same time, realize that a keyword is only, well, it's, it's something that relates to a topic. Uh, and, and that's what it is. It's not more. But it's also not less, <laughs> so it's still relevant. But it, but the relevance is is slowly is slowly shifting, um, and, and yeah, well, you're you're looking at them, you're going like, okay, so what do we do? One of the things that I look at uh, a lot is the 
images that people have for their posts because uh, that's something that Discover well, heavily uses. Um, but that they, they a, a normal author will usually only have one image for their post that they use on both Twitter and Facebook and Discover and everywhere. And they all have different sizes. And I, and I go like, why can't they just come together and decide on one proper size for this stuff where it's not a 50 pixel difference in one way or the other? Uh, uh, it's, it's so stupid. Uh, so how do you do deal with that? Do you just make 10 different versions of all those things? or? So we, I spent a week of my life that I really want Google to give me back reading through all of their technical documentation and noting down these are must-have requirements for certain Google ecosystem platforms, so whether that's Discover or News or, or whatever it might be. These are recommended, which you may as well take as mandatory because if you don't fulfill them, somebody else will. These are general guidelines, and then this is where they give no guidelines. And at the end of it, it's just not going to be, especially when we're, we're a large site. We have hundreds of thousands of pages and that's millions of images. You can imagine the cost of storing all of that. So we're not going to times that by 10 to meet every single requirement. But what we have found is there's a key size for landscape images. There's this key size for square images. And if you hit those two, then you're likely going to be fine in most platforms. Um, so I, I don't have that written down anywhere right now. I suppose I should probably do that at some point. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good blog post to write, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next time I have to write a blog post, I will write up that one of the pain I went through to discover these are the optimum sizes. Uh, it's funny because I, so I have people to do that for me. Um, that people is called Jono and well, you know him well, um, <laughs> and he does this every once in a while. And um, the even worst part is that, so we have a service that we run that uh, screenshots all of Google's documentation every night because they just change stuff without telling anyone. Um, and this just changes all the time. And then you're looking at, for instance, podcasts what we're doing right now and suddenly the image requirement for a podcast goes up and literally becomes double the size of what it was before and and, and you're looking at like how can they do this without even announcing it somewhere and You've met google right <laughs> yeah i know but they're trying to do better and at the same time it's like yeah well we talk to them regularly but i when i do it i complain about these things <laughs> Yeah, my two-year-old tries to put on his own clothes in the morning. He has the best of intentions, but it doesn't result in him actually being dressed well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, but Google is a bit older than two years old. But yeah, I, I, that doesn't really change your behavior, I guess. But <laughs> They act like a toddler half the time, so I think the analogy stands. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah it, I can see how you'd feel that way. Um, I, I have to say that uh, for um, it's weird because at the, at the same time they, they have such amazing technology and then sometimes it's just so so utterly bizarre how stuff works. 
Talking about amazing technology, one of the things you mentioned in when we talked before the show is Google Lens, and I want to touch on that because I'm intrigued by it. What what role does Google Lens take in this ecosystem, in your view? When you look at the ecosystem, Google's tried multiple times and failed multiple times to build a social network. And I think they finally come to the realization that to get the networking effects they need for traction, it's not about making a new product. It's about their existing functionalities becoming a social network. And so when we talk about Google Lens, what it's fulfilling in that role of engaging beyond search for Google is it is Pinterest for them. It is this ability to, I have my phone, I point my camera at something and it translates that offline into digital recommendations or I have something digital and I want to zoom in on a certain part of it and through that zooming in it uses that new section of the image as a search query to bring up visually similar but important recommendations and it has a very strong understanding there. If I take a picture of strawberries or zoom in on strawberries on a plate it doesn't give me results of the facts about strawberries. It's gonna go, okay, what are most people actually trying to do? They're probably looking for strawberry recipes and gives me the, the most common intent and then asks, was this the right intent? And gives all the machine learning feedback and joys that is the Google algorithm because it is still new. But yeah, whenever I think of lens, I think if Pinterest is important for you and if you don't have Google Lens as part of your strategy, you're an idiot. Yeah, and and that's a specific group of sites. But if you're doing anything with recipes or stuff like that, then you should probably should be looking at that. And more and more people are using visuals to search. So we also see this coming through really strongly in e-commerce. Yeah. It's something where I see a handbag, I want that handbag. Yeah. I don't want something similar to the handbag, I want that. And this is what I can do with lens. I might not know the keywords to describe it because I don't know the brand. But if I just take a photo of it, the photo acts as my search query. I find that exact handbag from multiple suppliers that's coming up in Google Images, which Google Lens always populates into. Yeah, but that, that means that Google there. is tying it back. So, so what it's doing is it's recognizing what's in the photo looking at hey we have these products that match that photo so it is matching it to the product yeah it's it's acting similar to an e-commerce store yeah it's saying hey come through google merchant center give us all of your products for free now it's not a paid service anymore and the reason that they're doing that is that they can then come up and say here is the exact handbag you found walking down the street. Here are the offers from seven different merchants. Choose which one you want. And then they're doing that organically. And when people see traction organically, similar to what we do with search, there's certain brands that will always pay for that. Yeah, will pay for to, to put their brand in the number one ad position that they'll mm -hmm. in that they'll throw up above that in, inevitably. <laughs> okay. So, in many ways, uh, what Google Lens is doing there is is a bit like what Google Maps has been doing for years in in trying to 
gather all that data from everywhere and well just distribute it back out um it is a, a weird process because a lot of that also means that they have to acquire that data to match against from other sources than what they've had in the past. Yeah, and I think that for the different products, because remember, Google's not one brand. There's so many disparate teams, disparate systems, even disparate visions uh, that they don't always get along. But for each product, I think they're very clear on where they're trying to get to. And what works so well with search was give us all of the stuff for free. We will give you back value. And then for the brands who want, you can capitalize on top through ads. And they're taking that same approach when it comes to maps. Everybody can put in the Google My Business listing for free. And then if you want, there's certain services you can pay on top. Everybody can put in Google Merchant Center for free and you can pay on top with Google Shopping. Everyone can get their content into Discover for free, whether you want to or not. If you're in the Google Index, you are eligible for Google Discover. But lo and behold, they roll out Google Discover ads. And when you run Google Discover ads, hmm, just like Facebook, magically you get more coverage. Shocking, even though it's officially nothing to do with their algorithm. They know exactly what they're doing. And the yeah. more we integrate, the more power they have, which is obviously a double-edged sword. But I'm very much of this camp of treat them as a fremony, leverage what you can, but understand that at the end of the day, if your brand is fully dependent on one massive supplier, whether that's Google, Facebook, or someone else, you've got a competitive risk. Yeah, it, it, it basically means that if you can be disintermediated, you will be disintermediated. Yeah, so have real value. Yeah. Um, it's it's something I almost never worry about, but the people that worry about this often have very little actual business uh, and, and are just, well affiliating in a way or uh, and there's there's even there can be, can be real value in affiliate but there's very few big affiliates that do real value um and and so there's a lot of yeah a lot of that where i yeah look at it and go well, i'm i'm not worried for my business but i can see how this would hurt a lot of people it's funny though this ties back to schema because what i was well, hinting at it, they have to get all that data from elsewhere, but that all the data that they're matching against, they, they need in a structured way, which also makes it sort of makes sense why they're pushing so hard on the schema side of things so that they can actually do all of this a lot more efficiently. Um, does that mean that you're also setting up like schema for all those e-commerce sites that you or you're working on or the classified side probably even more? We do make sure we have basic schema in place. We also make sure we take advantage of any API in whatever logical way possible, whether that's officially covered by the documentation or not, it's worth testing. So for example, we integrate with the um, Google API to get our job listings up there directly, which Google's super happy on because it helps them understand where to direct their crawl budget much better because it must be in a structured format. There is no other choice with an API. You can't be half compatible. 
you can't have errors. And I think more and more we'll see, because Bing's already going that way, Google's making hints. I think API, going back to 15 years ago, API indexing is likely where we're headed. In a way, so we talk about this with Google semi-regularly because we keep asking, okay, when are you going to open up that API so we can actually use it? Uh, and um, I think it'll take some time uh, because they just can't handle the uh, the influx yet. Uh, it's I I look at it and I look at it from a web perspective and I go like, is this the most efficient way of dealing with this? And I think it actually is not. I think XML sitemaps are actually fairly efficient uh, in terms of. Um, getting them to index stuff that they need to index if they only used stuff that they added in there but then never used. So priority stuff like that 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 was in the XML sitemap spec would have made life a lot easier because getting a ping for an individual URL when it changes on a very large site is going to be an enormous amount of signal for them to process as well uh, where there's no internal coherency on what's more important than what that's what i uh, the bing um, api that's there for indexing is like yeah they, they say yeah it's a signal for indexing but if you talk to search engines everything is a signal for indexing <laughs> if you give them a url it's a signal for indexing um so what does that really mean and what how much priority are you going to give that url and the, the only thing I've seen Google do where it really is different is where they what they did with Wix, where they're actually giving a response when you ping them and they, and they actually give a response to Wix saying, yeah, it's now indexed. Mm. If we could have that, that would be ultimate, I think, because then we could all, well, as SEOs, we could just say, okay, is this in the index, yes or no? Because we, we would just immediately know. I think that's a while away, honestly, because I think their infrastructure just can't handle it yet. It's just too much. There's so much content. I mean, you're probably your um, uh, classified sites are probably adding tens of thousands of classifieds every day. Yeah, they're they're big based. Yeah, and you're not alone. I've worked for eBay myself, uh, eBay, Marktplatz in the Netherlands, uh, large sites like that, where you literally add hundreds of thousands of classified listings every day. And you also remove them because they're sold. And there's still no good way of dealing with that. And we're, we're 20 years in and into this whole web thing. We've been doing this for literally been optimizing that sort of stuff for 20 years. And there's still no official good way of dealing with that that every, makes everybody happy. And so, the challenge is it's going to get worse because right now we still think of everything as the content belongs to a URL but more and more contents being disconnected from URLs. And as you're using multiple content in multiple places or the content is on Google Maps itself, which Google doesn't obviously need to crawl and index the same way as a website, or if it's an element which they embed into one of their experiences like Google Images, how does that factor in? So there's this complexity of, they're still trying to figure out the URL problem from 20 years ago. No, yeah, I agree. They've got these new ones coming in. 
it's it's the it, well WordPress has the block editor the the block mm-hmm. uh, editor, but it's also every block is really an entity, and I, well, I have ideas on how to deal with that, but Google has not said yes. We're going to take all your ideas and implement them, so <laughs> um, that's not going to really work. No, but it is a, a problem that I'm I'm looking forward to them fixing because it's uh, it's going to be an interesting world when they start trying to do that. I think it'll give a whole lot of chances for us to optimize against a new Wild West. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we've got some time. <laughs> we do, yeah. It's funny because I, as you said, it's, you need to play with these things now because in a couple of years you'll have a problem if you don't. What I've seen over the last five years is that we all overestimate how fast stuff goes in the short term. Mm, that's uh, very true. But at the same time, we underestimate how fast it goes in the long term. So, so it's. Yeah, we'll see where, when this is really true and when when all of this is really as big as, um, uh, well, as we hope it's some, in some ways it will be. But it, yeah, it's going to be fairly important. And if you're in news now, I think if you're not playing with it, you've already lost. Uh, but that's probably not the same for every industry. Yeah, I think news and e-commerce are the two that are most dramatically hit by this this shift of Google from like yeah. Yeah, strings to things. Other industries, not so much right now, but talk to your friends who work in news, talk to your friends who work in e-commerce because it can allow you to get that edge. Even if it's just a few years that you have a competitive advantage, I'll still take that win. Yeah, of course. It's, it's worth a lot of traffic. And, and it's also... I think the example I always give, we rank number one for WordPress SEO, and we've ranked there for, I think now, 13 years. It's very hard to beat us for that spot because we've been there for so long. Mm. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy that just keeps on getting stronger. And um, so it's always good to do that. But it's this question of number one ranking position as well. I mean, for you yeah. guys, what's going to happen when you type in SEO and it puts up a brand carousel as the first real result and there's Yoast and all of the others. Yeah, so it's, no, it's, yeah, it's a very real, I mean, and that changes all the time. Um, and, and I think that's a very real option. And also what happens when it's they search for Yoast and it pops up a brand carousel with your competitors as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that can happen too. So um, yeah, I think that is one of the challenges of the of the coming decades that that's going to be very interesting to navigate. Yeah, we had a lovely one recently where we fought for months to to get the entity established strong enough that we got the knowledge panel. And the knowledge panel came in and we were really excited until we realized at the bottom it listed people also searched for and all of our competitors. Yeah, that was not the. It was a silver lining on a win. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it is what. Well, it is. It, it's the sort of stuff that you get to play with now, and I think it's fun challenges, but it's also, uh, yeah, Google keeps throwing you new stuff to work against. Oh, you're never bored. That's good. Well, on that note, 
um, I want to thank you for being here, Jess. It's been really ple- a pleasure to talk to you. And I think we can go on for hours. I know we can because we've done it often enough. For everyone listening, this is the Yosesio podcast. If you're not subscribed yet, go subscribe on your favorite platform of choice. Um, and with that, see you next time. Thank you.